Welcome to Postscript. My name is Dave Severns. I'm the worship pastor here at Compass Point Bible Church, and today I am with Paul Eastwood. Hey. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. Great. We are uh, on week two of our series called Rejecting Jesus, uh, and this week we talked about the stingy. We went into the, the story of the rich young ruler, which is one of these fascinating and difficult uh, and beautiful passages, uh, right. story that Jesus tells. Um, sorry, told about Jesus interacting with someone, yes, yeah. um, answering a question. And, and yeah, I mean, do, do you want to just give us a little taste of what we heard yesterday? Yeah, well, we looked at this passage that is probably well known to a lot of us. And I actually started the service by saying this is a passage that in my mind is probably one of the, one of the most shocking for me. It's probably mm. of all of the things that we hear about Jesus, this one uh, is a little unsettling because there's a person who essentially seems to come to Jesus, wanting to follow him, wanting to know what he needs to do. And then Jesus says something to him and he walks away. And, and I think that we need to sit in that for a little while and say, wow, like, like this is, this is Jesus, the one who cares, one who pursues us, who want the one who wants a relationship with us. Yep. And it's like, he walked away sad. Hmm. And I thought, you know, how can that happen? But what we see in this passage is the reason he walks away is is a, really a very similar reason for a lot of us to walk away from our faith. Yeah, this uh, money can have a great hold over our lives. I loved what you said early on. Christianity isn't about something we can add or something we can do. It's right. an all-in proposition. Right. Right. It's not. It's not what I've got in my life comfortably plus Jesus. It's yeah. Jesus redefining everything we've got in our lives, and this is. Yeah, well, I heard it. I heard it. I was reading this as I was preparing for this, and I heard it said that um, that Christianity is beyond human capacity to conceive, hmm. and and I think that this is important for us, especially if you're searching and trying to figure out who this Jesus is. That this is not something that is very easily made up by humans. If we were to make up a story, it would always be about our accomplishments and what we can do and how yeah. good we can be. And in fact, Christianity is is the only religion that is not based on what I can do for God. It's hmm. what God has done for me through Jesus Christ on the cross and in the resurrection. And so there's something very powerful there, but it reminds us that that what's truly accurate about the gospel is something that is beyond our ability to just bring to life or make up on ourselves. This this yeah. wouldn't be the way that someone would would talk about religion if they were to create it. And so to me, this is one of those reasons why we know for sure this is something that is worth following because it is beyond our capacity. It's something hmm. it's something bigger than that. Yeah. And you, you had three main points uh, in this sermon. You allow Jesus to rearrange our religious mindset, to change our minds. Yeah. Um, and kind of this in, in that you say religious mindset, we're admitting that we, we tend to fall into patterns and, and like to make yep. structures and like to kind of take it from relationship to I can control this. Yeah. Um, we allow Jesus to get at our hearts and not just our minds, right? He, right. To get into our hearts uh, and we allow Jesus to establish true value, to tell yeah. us what's meaningful and what's not. Not not follow the stock markets, not follow the, the advice of everyone around us, but, yeah. but turn first to the Bible and what Jesus says, mm -hmm. um, which is which is tough. How, how, have you, how have you felt this wrestle in your own life? We're talking about, you know, the rich young ruler. We're talking about this need to give up stuff. Have you, have you had examples in your own life where you've really felt like God is calling you to, to, 
something like this, or, or you've seen uh, evidence of ways you've been rejecting Jesus, maybe? Yeah, perhaps. I, I can think of a time, actually, when I really first felt like I was called into ministry. There's this phrase we use that basically means I, I really got a sense that God was saying, hey, this is the way I want you to go with your life, and yep. um, it involved you know, full-time vocational ministry in, the, in, in a church setting. And uh, when I really started to feel that call, what I did is I decided that I was going to get rid of everything. I had this this hmm. image of just dropping all my bags and saying, God, you have me. I'm going to get rid of everything. And so I broke up with my girlfriend at the time and I did all this stuff to just let it all go. And I remember having a conversation with my dad and, um, during that time. And I was kind of really proud of this. And I was sharing him with him that I had made this very mature decision. And and he basically said, you, you dummy, like, you know, do you, do you think that these things aren't, aren't in your life for a reason? Do you think that God hasn't given you these things already? Hmm. And, and what I recognized is that it, it started to shake, shake my opinion about what I believed about the things that were in my life, because I thought that I had control over them. I thought they were my things. I thought these were things that I was holding on to and that for for me to be a good Christian, I needed to let go of all of it and allow God to fill me with new things. But what I realized is that sometimes the change in our minds is recognizing that God has already given us things and they're not ours. So we need to hold on to them more loosely and recognize that it's, these are things that have been brought into our life. And so for me, when I look at the passage of the rich young ruler, it is absolutely shocking that Jesus asks him to give up everything, to give all of his money away. Yeah but he's getting at his heart. What he really wants to know is what is driving this rich young ruler? What does he really want in life? What are the things that he's putting his hope in or is his, his trust in? Hmm. And what he's realizing is that, is that he was choosing his stuff over Jesus. And like Jesus often does, and, 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 and you know, just to, to say, I don't have the ability, of course, that Jesus did to be able to see into this person's life, but yep. he knew exactly what the rich young ruler needed to hear. And so he asked him this because he knew what would get at his heart. And the sad part of this is that this man chose his stuff hmm. over Jesus in that yeah. moment. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So, so how do we live in that tension? I mean, you, you just said, you know, God often puts stuff in our lives that, yeah. that he wants to use in certain ways, um, which absolutely makes sense. But I mean, the criticism that often comes against the North American, the Western, the Canadian church is that we're just, we're wealthy, we're complacent, we're you know, and, and the argument might be against that. Well, God hasn't called me to sell everything. Mm -hmm. So, so what has God called us who are rich to do? And I'm using that term pretty broadly. You can go on the internet and do all kinds of searches about, you know, how, if you, uh, if you own a car, you are in the richest, you know, top percentage of the world. Certainly if you own a house, you're, you know, incredibly wealthy compared to most people. So, so how do we know when God's calling us to let go of these things or what does that look like? Well, let me answer it by, by starting here. I would say that there are two pitfalls in this passage that people make um, in terms of two dangers that people fall into when they interpret this passage. The first thing is they, they want to uh, make it apply to someone else. They say, you know what? That's for rich people. I'm not rich. So it doesn't really apply to me. There's always someone richer. (laughs) That's true. Um, the second problem that people make or the second pitfall is to say that this radical demand is, um, was somehow just, you know, sort of out there and and we want to make it a little more reasonable or a little more palatable. And so we sort of downplay what Jesus was asking this rich young ruler. So I think both of those things are a problem. 
And so what you're asking is about, you know, um, how do we sort of navigate through it? Well, let me tell you, first of all, it's really hard. Yep. And Jesus talks, he uses this, this, this example, and it's a bit of a silly example, but he talks about a, a camel getting through the eye of a needle. And he says, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Mm-hmm. Oh man, people have done all kinds of backflips and weird, you know, wonderful things to try to figure out what he really meant by that. Sure. Maybe it was a gate in ancient Israel that the camel had to lose his back or his pack and then kind of get on its knees so that it would be able to get through this hole in the wall, Yeah, which is, which is all really, um, uh, it's attempting to make what Jesus was asking more palatable. Mm-hmm. And I think the truth is Jesus was talking about a real camel and a real needle and saying how hard it is for that to happen. He's saying it's virtually impossible. It's yeah. very difficult. And I think what he was saying is for all of us, especially those of us who live in a place like North America, that our possessions will eventually kill us if we allow them to take priority over Jesus. So how do we deal with this? We need to be constantly vigilant about the things that have our hearts. Is yeah. it your cars? Is it your job? Is it your sport? Is it your, you know, what it, is, is it your family? What are, what is in your life that you are holding on to that is you believe to be more significant than Jesus? And that's where we get into problem. But we're all there at some level, yeah. right? So how do we go through that practice of evaluating what has our heart? How do we, like, I, I mean, and I'm thinking of an example. If I, um, if my wife got sick or my kids got sick right. and they needed medical treatment and I needed to pay for it, it wouldn't be a question. I would quickly go through everything I have and sell it and, you know, make, make it work. But I'm not in that situation, right? right. So I, I don't. I don't actively think like, God, are you calling me to get rid of everything? Do I need to, do I need to sell this and give it away? And I've become at times so desensitized to, to the poor. Um, you know, I, I usually see on the way home, I usually see someone asking for change. I, I see news stories about people in all kinds of countries doing stuff. How, how do we, how do we do a heart check and see what is it that, that is holding value in our hearts and how do we move towards letting that go? That's a really good question. And Um, I would say, so one thing, uh, I remember as a young adults group, we read through, uh, Francis Chan's book called crazy love, which is a great book that talks about this radical choice to follow Jesus. And, and he talks in there in that book about giving things up and selling homes and living in a different way and all these kinds of things, which is all great. But the flip side, the downside to that is when we start asking the question, Oh, is God calling me to give this up? And maybe I should give this up and maybe I should give this up we've moved back into that same place where we're trying to take control, where mm-hmm. we're saying, I need to give these things up so that I can be a better person so that I can be more loved by God. And that's not the right way to go about it. Okay. What I would suggest is that people start to experiment. And what I mean by experiment is, is even if, so we, we, we challenge people on Sunday with a, an experiment with money, and we'll talk about yep. that perhaps in a second. But yep. before, I would say that at least go through the thought exercise. How would you feel in your gut if you lost your job tomorrow mm-hmm. and then start, exp- what did, and have a conversation. If you've, if you're married, then, you know, have a conversation with your spouse or if, if you know, you can have a conversation with a good friend, what would be the thing that hurts the most? Would you be most concerned about your, your identity? I mean, if you're a salesperson, do you feel like if you were out of sales that you wouldn't even know who you were? Would mm-hmm. you know what to do if you did something else? You can start having these thought exercises. Um, you know, what would happen if these kinds of things happen? And I think what people will recognize is that 
is that there are things that have a hold on their hearts more than they think they do. And this is what I think is really great about this passage is remember, the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he came with a completely different idea about what he needed. He's like, you know, Jesus, I know I need something. Um, so tell me what it is. Is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Mm. And Jesus says, actually, it's something completely different. Yeah, It's your heart. And I'm going to talk about your money. And I think for us, oftentimes our money is our problem. Um, okay. Even those of us who don't have a lot of it, I think it still holds on to us that way. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough. And I yeah. mean, there's part of it that we need to come back to Jesus and and to to pray and to Absolutely. ask wise people in our lives. Like, are there things that you see in my life that have a hold on me? I mean, this is you know one of the the joys of being married is that sometimes our spouse spouses can see things in our lives yeah. that have a hold of us in ways that we can't. Yeah. And I'm not suggesting that some people aren't called to uh, a radical a way of living in terms of giving up some of their material possessions. Yep. But if you are selling your house and then posting on Instagram, like, you know, look how humble I am because I've gotten rid of my house and you should do the same. Right. Uh, okay, you've missed the point. That's not giving it up for Jesus. That's giving it up for more followers or whatever it is that you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, we've got the New Testament warning of Ananias. And Sapphira, and yeah. Sapphira. It's yeah. really hard to say. Yeah, absolutely. Ananias and Sapphira, who, uh, you know, again, d- slightly mixed motives, trying to do the right yeah. thing, but, and another crazy story for another day, certainly. Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, and it's tough not to, again, try to grab that control, even if it's by doing the right thing. I want to control yeah. by doing the right thing. Yeah. So you gave us a challenge at the end, and I, I had yeah. a great conversation after the service with someone who said, hey, are you doing the podcast with Paul? Um, I've got a question. Paul, you challenged all of us to give 10% for the next four weeks. If it's not a habit that you're in yet, um, to give it. And you said, you know, you can give it wherever you want. My practice is giving it to the church. Yeah. So why? Why give it to the church? What's, why would you compel us to do the same? Well, um, so that I can get paid. <laughs> no, I, that, no, that's the, that's the, that's the tricky part. Right. So I, I say that jokingly because I do get paid and, and you as and I both I. get yep. paid, um, because of people's generous donations as they, um, as they, as they give. And so it's difficult for us to have this conversation about why the church first. And mm-hmm. perhaps we could have a conversation with someone who is uh, outside of the church, uh, who could, who could talk to this issue as well. Yeah. But I think, for for me, I think it's very important that that Michelle and I prioritize the church in terms of our giving, because we recognize that the church is the starting point for all of these different parachurch organizations that exist. Yeah. Um, can, you know, and can you like for those who don't know what the word parachurch means, what, yeah, what are you talking enough. about? So so uh, there are church uh, organizations which are you know function as a church just like Compass Point Compass does Point Sunday mornings yeah. you know that kind of thing, and then you have parachurch organizations which kind of come alongside the church, and they are organizations that serve a particular demographic, a particular group of people. Um, it could be you know serving the poor, it could be overseas, and yep. sometimes we uh, often they are uh, led by missionaries or at least staffed by what we call missionaries missionaries who are, you know, serving God in other ways. And those organizations all exist as um, they've, they've often come out of the church. And Mm -hmm. so perhaps someone in the church has a feeling about, you know, um, young people and wants to, you know, make a more concerted effort to do something. And so they start an organization that's outside the church, but working alongside the church. And so for me, I think it needs, our givings need to begin with the church because that's uh, where all of these other things come from. In fact, I think the Bible is pretty clear that when Jesus uh, laid out this new plan to share the good news, the gospel, 
he laid out this plan with this idea of the church being the place where people would hear this good news. Yeah. And so if God's going to use the church, if Jesus made it clear that the church was going to be his primary vehicle for getting this message out, for allowing the world to see what a Christian is, all of those good things, then I think that that needs to be the first place that we um, give our money. Yep. Um, yeah. So let me, let me ask, uh, 10%, that's a, that's a pretty common number yes. we've heard before in the Bible. People talk about a tithe. Yeah. So what's the, what's the deal? Is, is the tithe required 10%? Where do we find that? What does the New Testament say? Yeah. So, um, in a nutshell, the 10% tithe is an old Testament principle, mm-hmm. uh, that if you do the math, it probably wasn't really 10%. It would have been a little more than that because yep. they had a, a, every seven years they had to give something and every, there were mm-hmm. three different things that they gave money to. Uh, that made up parts of this tithe. Uh, but the principle of the of the first fruits or giving back to God some of the first things that we receive is a principle that is an act of worship and it's an act of trust. And so in the Old Testament, they would take a, you know, something that was their first uh, harvest or their first uh, animal or their best animal, and they would sacrifice it back to God. It, they were essentially giving it back to him in worship. And so for us, we do the same thing with our, with our money. We receive these, this money. And as a church, the money that we receive, we give a portion of that away as mm. well, quote unquote, because we give it to missionaries that we don't have control over how that money is spent. Absolutely. And so what we do corporately, I think, should be represented in the way that we treat this personally. And so the 10% is, as I said, an Old Testament principle. It's not mentioned in the New Testament uh, specifically. But what is mentioned in the New Testament are things like giving joyfully, giving generously, giving from, you know, the, the abundance of what you've been given um, and giving regularly. So those mm-hmm. kinds of things that are very clear in the New Testament are practices that we want to pick up on. I would suggest that 10% is a good place to start. Yep. But Jesus never takes an Old Testament principle and and makes it, you know, less significant. So, for instance, when he talked about don't murder in the New Testament, he says, even when you look at your brother sideways, that's murder. So don't do that either. Mm. So he always raises the bar. So I think I think the same thing happens when it comes to the way we deal with our money. I think that we should be as generous as we possibly can. Mm Uh, I've seen the people who are most inspiring to me are people who who keep giving more and more and more, even yeah. when they get to a place where it's like, well, I'm giving you know 40% or 60% of my salary mm-hmm. away. Now, a lot of us aren't in a place financially where we could give that significant portion away. Yep. But as I said in the, on Sunday, Michelle and I have never been in a place in our life where we've regretted giving. Yeah, and I, I think it's important... Um... Tim Keller writes a bit about uh, what what a tithe and what sacrificial giving looks right. like, and a tithe was supposed to be sacrificial giving, and, sure. and that's kind of the New Testament principle here. Yes, and and sacrificial giving means that you feel it. So yeah. if you're giving ten percent and you're kind of like, and eh, I'm not really like sacrificing anything, then actually the biblical call is probably to give more. That's a great that's um, a great way of putting and, it. And there's a lot more. And I, I want to address one other thing. I know. Uh, pastors talking about money and talking about giving more money to the church is awkward, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's something that there's a lot of bad press out there about because there are some circumstances where these things have become abusive, where there aren't proper checks and balances, um, where, where there aren't kind of, I mean, there's, I follow an Instagram account called preachers and sneakers, which posts pictures of pastors wearing $3,000 shoes, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, it gets you into all kinds of interesting conversations. Where did they come from? Why are they doing it? Um, mm-hmm. but I just want to say, I know you, Paul, I know our staff. Well, mm-hmm. um, we also struggle with those things. We struggle with, with people who get overpaid, overcompensated in ministry with, with the idols that creates. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we are really thankful for our leaders here who, who take care of us well, but also 
hold us in the right kind of boundaries. So if for any reason, if, you know, we had a thousand people show up next week and everyone started giving 10% more, guess what? We wouldn't get paid more. It, mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that. Our, our tithes and offerings don't affect what we get paid, what we bring home. It just means that we can continue to do God's work and we can give more away, which which excites us. Yeah, and, and as with everything, it's so nuanced and sometimes difficult to understand, but I, I would say that, you know, we're not asking people to give to our church because the church needs to do a bunch of things. Mm, yes. You know, not yeah. just that. It's also a spiritual issue. You know, I think I think if someone is like throwing money off a bridge, it's showing trust. It might be dumb. Yes. Uh, and, 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 and foolish, but my, what I'm trying to get at is that is that when we offer what God has given us away, mm-hmm. we're showing trust in God to look after us, and we're worshiping the one who gives us it all in the first place. Yeah. And so to me, that's priority number one. The, the, the way the church uses that money to, to serve the community and uh, to look after the poor, to spread the good news of the, of the gospel, uh, that's all a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, does, it can't be reduced to just that. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to, again, say to my millennial friends, who I am one of, um, there's been lots written about millennials and not giving lots or, or how giving patterns have changed. So I would say, first of all, if you're not giving, take this challenge up. Give 10% away. Yeah. Um, second of all, if you are giving and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you're not giving to the church, yeah, go back and revisit those passages and figure out why. Because I believe, and you believe, yeah. Paul, that... that if we're followers of Jesus, we're called to give to the church generously. Yeah, I think so too, yeah. And I, I think ten percent is is a great, great yeah. place to start. Absolutely. Um, so it's so a great place that. to start. Yeah, and and I for sure. And I would just echo what you're saying. And I and you know, to be even more frank, um, you are likely not giving as much as you think you are. Yeah. I don't think anybody gets their tax receipt at the end of the year and says, "Wow, I gave way more than I thought hmm. I did." They usually look at it and say, "Ugh." man, I wish I gave a little more. Yeah. And so my, my challenge to you would be to, and this is, and so getting back to this passage, when we start thinking about this idea of what has our heart, hmm. the challenge of starting to give away our money will begin to affect us. And I talked about on Sunday, there's two things that happen. Number one, you start feeling a little worried at first because you're like, oh, I don't know, I got some bills to pay. I got some stuff I got to do. Is this going to work for me? And the second thing is a little bit of excitement. You get this kind of rush because you're Mm -hmm. starting like, wow, I'm just giving, I'm I'm free of it. Because otherwise, if we're not giving it away, then it's got us trapped, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything else? I mean, we, we've had other conversations around this. We've talked a bit about dreams. Anything else you want to touch on before we go? Yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, you mentioned that thing about dreams. I think one of the things that, that is, is true um, when we look at the Bible is that, that we are constantly in a power struggle with God over our dreams. We are constantly in a place where we are trying to take control of these big ideas and dreams we have in our life. And I don't want to give anyone the impression that you shouldn't dream. I think, I think the idea of, of thinking big and, and being bold, all of those things are very like, you know, that kind of risking for God is, is a real positive behavior. But what I would say is that when we hold on to our dreams so tightly, I think that's when, when we get a sense from God where he's kind of saying, look, I, I, I want you to let go of those. I want you to, to allow me to set your dreams, allow me to set those big ideas in place. Because I think sometimes what can happen is that we, ha- we find ourselves really struggling to trust God when we have a picture of reality that we want to see happen in the future yeah. and we don't see us getting there the- mm. as fast or, or in the same way that we wanted it to happen. 
when those things happen, sometimes we can get so disappointed with God. And I think in those moments, it's almost like the rich young ruler. God's basically saying to us, are you willing to give me your dreams? Because, because if you allow me to set your dreams, they will be accomplished and you'll be such, you'll be full of much more joy as you, as you see those things happen. Yeah. And so many of our dreams, um, in, in our context have to do with money right? If I have this, yeah. I can do this. I can finally buy a house. I can get that car. I can, I mean. Yeah. And, and you know, Mark Twain, Mark Twain said one time, he's a, he was a critic of Christianity and he said, you know, it's not the parts of the Bible that are, that I don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that bother me. Hmm. And this passage is one of those passages that should shake us and should challenge us and should push us a little bit with this idea of, okay, I know what Jesus says here. He says he wants me, he wants you to have me over all of those other things. Um, And he says, start giving those things away, get rid of them, cut them out of your life if they are going to take over. Hmm. And, And I think that there are people on the outside who see this perspective, um, people, um, who, who are still trying to work this through and still on a journey who see this perspective and that's, what's inspiring. And that is what shows people that the God we serve is worth following. Awesome. Well, thank you, Paul. Uh, We could keep going on this a long time, but want to honor the, the time and the listeners. So thank you for listening along and we will be back next week with more postscript. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks.